I'm here at 2 o'clock today. How many of you don't have a communion cup? If you don't have one, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. I think everybody's got them. Okay, we'll be needing that at the end of the service today. How many of you like Hallmark movies? Come on, guys, and don't be ashamed. I watch them. Come on, get them up there. All right, a few of you. Deb and I love Hallmark movies. We'll record them and watch them later. We'll be watching Christmas Hallmark in July. You know, we'll, we'll do it. It's just crazy. But we do like it. And it, I've noticed on some of the Hallmark shows, someone will invite another person over for dinner, usually around Christmas time. And the person that is coming to dinner always brings some kind of gift. Mostly it's a bottle of wine. They'll show up at the door with a bottle of wine. They'll take it and thank them for it. And you wonder why that is a custom. What are they doing? Well, it's just a, a sign of gratitude. Someone invites you over for a meal, and you feel like you need to say thank you in some way. So you bring something. You all usually ask, what can you bring? Now, you know what? I'm a guy. Somebody invites me to a meal. I go over, and I say thank you, and I eat. I don't think of bringing something, but my wife does. She'll say, you've got to stop by. Let me pick up some flowers. Uh, why? Because I want to take some flowers to so-and-so because they've invited us over for dinner. Sometimes she'll get a potted plant because she wants it to last longer. I'm not sure why she would take flowers to one and a potted plant to another. Um, sometimes she'll take a Christmas ornament to the person, a special ornament, just to say thank you. Now, I know some of you have given her gifts before, and I'm going to tell a secret. Sometimes she regifts. All right, yeah, you know what that's like, don't you? See, she's not here today, and I want that blotted out of the record. But uh, she'll say, well, so-and-so doesn't know so-and-so because I can, I'm going to give them this gift, you know. I think we've all done that at times. But um, we do that because we want to say to the person how much they mean to us and how we are grateful for having been invited over for the meal and the fellowship, and so we bring them a gift. Now, I want you to think about something with me today, okay? I want you to think of the ways in which God invites you and me into his presence. If you think about it, there are a number of different ways, and there's more than what I'm sharing here. I'm just going to share a couple of the most obvious ones, that God invites you into his presence on a daily basis. Now, we know God is with us always. I know that. But there are special times when God says, here, come down and come sit and talk with me. Come into my presence. Come and fellowship with me. One of those times would be whenever we're invited into a time of prayer. What more intimate time than prayer for us to fellowship with the Lord? And he says, come, now set this time aside. Let's get together. And I want you to come and be with me on that occasion. And we're going to pray or you're going to pray. Uh, another time would be what I call quiet time. It doesn't necessarily involve prayer. It just a lot of times involves meditation where you're just sitting and reflecting on the Lord and what he's done. And it's not like sometimes you just feel overwhelmed with what God has done for you and the reality of his presence. And you just your heart is filled with gratitude. And you just want to sing. Sometimes you just want to read your Bible. Sometimes you just want to sit out in nature and just enjoy the time of, of basking in his, his presence. Now for the church, one of the most obvious times when God invites us into his presence is during communion. And we're going to participate at the end of this time together today in communion. Now this is a special time for the church. It's when we come as a group into the presence of God in a special way. 
Um, and we acknowledge, and as he says here, you take this and you do this in remembrance of me. We remember what he's done. We are grateful for what he's done. We thank him when we take the, the bread and the juice. And um, it's just a time of personal worship, personal praise, personal honor to God, personal thanksgiving. Even though we do it as a group, it's very personal because that's the way God designed it. And he set it up so that as often as you do it, according to the scriptures, as often as you do it, you do it to remember me. Because that is important that we remember him. Now, we're going to do that today, like I said. Now, here's what I want you to think about, okay? Before we ever get there, before we ever do this, I want you to answer this question for yourself, okay? He has invited us in to dinner, the Lord's Supper. He has invited us there. And what gift are you going to bring? What gift are you going to bring? Now, the, probably the bigger question is, well, what does he want? I mean, what does he want from me? What, when you talk about bringing a gift, I'm not sure I understand. What would we bring to God? How could he possibly want anything from me? And what would it be? How could I, in any way as a human being, bring something to express gratitude to the God of the universe? But now think with me, because when you look into the Old Testament, you see in the Old Testament where they brought sacrifices to the altar, and they would bring these sacrifices to the altar of God, and they would offer these sacrifices. And sometimes it would be lamb, sometimes it would be uh, sheep or a ram, sometimes it would be just cornmeal or wine they would pour out onto the altar. And they brought it for all different occasions. Sometimes it would be a sin offering. Sometimes just a thank you offering they would bring to God. Sometimes they just wanted to worship God. They just wanted to bask in his presence. They'd go to the altar and they would offer up and the priest would offer, offer there on the altar their sacrifice, their offering, their gift that they brought to God. And they would enter into his presence in a very powerful way. And it was a time of worship. Now, here's what happened over time, and it has happened to us as well. Over time, the gift became the most important thing to the person. They wanted to bring the gift, and everything revolved around you being obedient and bringing the gift. They would bring the right animal to sacrifice or the right meal offering or the right wine or whatever it may be they're offering. And that became the central focus of everything that they did, just making sure you get the right gift. And what they missed was this. They missed the intimacy. They missed out of the intimacy and the purpose behind bringing the gift. Now, when you stand at a door and somebody comes to your house with supper and they bring you a gift, be it a bottle of wine or you know, we're still a Baptist church, so we can't say that. But we could bring flowers or whatever, you know. And you stand there at the door and they're expressing their gratitude to you for having brought them over for a meal. Now, the funny thing is this, and this is what I want you to see here today, is that the gifts that they brought, God didn't really want. That may sound odd. Because God was the one that told them to bring those specific gifts to start with. But like I said, it wasn't the gift that he wanted. It was the heart of the giver. You see, God wanted the heart of the giver. Are you thankful for me? You're coming into my presence. You're bringing this lamb or whatever. Are you thankful? Well, they may or may not have been. They just offered the gift. It was a ritual. 
And, uh, and like so many other religious rituals that had a good purpose and meaning behind it in the beginning, what has happened to us as Christians today is we've fallen into that same trap. We bring gifts to God. You, you know, you write a check, you drop it in the box back there, an offering to God of the fruits of your labor. How often do you ever think that, Lord, I give you this out of gratitude for all that you've given for me, and this is just a token of what you've done for me, but, Lord, I give it in faith and in love and commitment to you, I give this. Or do you just do it because you've always done it? See? You bring the gift, but there's no meaning behind it. There's no change of heart behind it. Communion that we're going to participate in in just a little bit becomes that way sometimes because it becomes so mundane and so routine that we don't often think about the need for a heart change. And the reason why Jesus said to us, you come and you do this as often as you will in remembrance of me because I want you to remember what I've done and I want you to respond to that and I want to see a change of heart because that's the gift that I'm asking of you. See, that's what I want to see. It, it really didn't matter to God whether you, you brought the lamb or not because so many times they brought the sacrifice without a change of heart and God said in the Old Testament, I'm basically rejecting it. Now watch this. This is out of the Old Testament, the book of Micah. Micah chapter 6, verse 6. Here's what he says. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with, with calves a year old? That's a legitimate question. He says, I'm going to go into the presence of God. And what is it that he wants? Now, do I bring an offering, a calf that's a year old? What can you bring to the Almighty God that's going to satisfy him or say to him in any tangible way, Thank you. What could I possibly bring? The next verse, in verse 7, he says, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Now, he's getting excessive here. If I brought all of that, would that make him happy? And then he gets extreme. He says, Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Would God be happy then if I took my firstborn and brought him and laid him on the altar and he died? Would God be happy with that? Now, they didn't practice human sacrifices. He's just making an extreme point because look at what he says in the next verse. In verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you. Here it is. To act justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What? Yeah. You see, the sacrifices were all well and good, but they were meant to express a change in your heart. If you don't have a change in your heart, and you're bringing the sacrifices, God's basically saying, I don't really care about it. I don't want that. I don't want the ritual without the heart. I don't want religion without your faith and trust and your worship. So here's what God says. You're going to come to me with a sacrifice regardless of what it is. You come to me with this heart attitude and this change. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
Now, that has not changed, okay? From the time in which Micah lived back in the Old Testament to today, that has not changed. What God expects from you and me is something that affects our heart, and we respond out of our heart back to God. It's a simple thing, really, when you think about it, that you get your mind right and you think about what God has done and you, you list those things in your heart and your mind and you begin to realize, wow, in spite of all my problems and all of my issues and the things I don't have, God, you have done overwhelmingly so much for me. How do I begin to say thank you? And the answer is the same now as it was then. He says, okay, here's how you do it. You act justly, you love mercy, and you walk humbly with me. So let's pick that apart for a moment. Let's talk for just a moment about what that means. Okay, to act justly, what does it mean? Well, he's saying justly basically means fair and honest. It's a legal term talking about you go into a court of law and you want to be treated with justice or justly, fairness, whatever the law requires, but not more or less, just just. In other words, we might, in the modern-day vernacular, say, just do the right thing. Do the right thing. God says to you, you're going to bring an offering to God, whatever it may be. You're going to come before the Lord in communion or go to the Lord in prayer. Then bring me something. Well, Lord, what do you want? I want a heart and a life that is lived in such a way that you're doing the right thing. Whatever that may be. What God wants is for you to seek his face and to do the right thing in every given situation. You see, it's not a list. We've talked about this before. It's a spiritual walk. And God is saying to you and me, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out tomorrow and the next day in every decision that you make. I want to be in part of this. I want you to do the right thing. I want you to listen to me. I want you to walk with me. Don't leave me out of your life and then come to me with a sacrifice. Don't leave me out of your life and come to me to worship me when you've done nothing in the way you've lived your life that says that you even care. I want more than anything else for you to do the right thing. To act justly, fairly, honestly, with integrity. What else? Well, let's talk about this one, to love mercy. To love mercy. Well, it basically means this. You know what mercy is? You're showing mercy to somebody. It means, and I'm just going to give you some examples here. It could mean a, a myriad of things, but I'm just giving you some examples. Not to get even when you've been wronged, but to show mercy. It's very natural for us to want to get even with somebody that has hurt us. And we'll sit around thinking of ways, and sometimes we're passive-aggressive about this. Sometimes we're just blatant about it. But nonetheless, he says, I want you to learn to be merciful to people that don't deserve it. I want you to learn to forgive. That's a big one in Scripture. I want you to learn not to harbor bitterness against people because of what they've done to you, how they've hurt you. I want you to learn to let that go. I want you to learn what it means to bless somebody that's in need. We all see people in need, every one of us. We come up against them every day in work, in school, in our communities, even in our churches. 
And rather than you saying, well, somebody ought to take care of that, or waiting around, or just ignoring it, or turning the other way, God says to you, I want you to love mercy. To love it. I want you to look for people that are in need and see what you can do to help them. To bless somebody in need. Listen to this. It's in Hosea, another Old Testament prophet, chapter 6, verse 6. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. God is saying to you, listen, I would would rather you show mercy to people that need it and acknowledge me in everything in life, that's just what we talked about, rather than bringing me offerings. Boy, that seems odd because God was very strict about those offerings in the Old Testament. And yet we as Christians don't seem to quite understand that because we get caught up in routines and rituals and religion. And we don't understand what God really seeks, what God really desires, and that's a change in our heart. And the things that we do, like communion, are simply tangible ways of helping that along. So when you come before God to have communion with God, be it in prayer or at the Lord's table, whatever that may be, then you and I need to bring a gift. Either act justly, loving mercy, or walking humbly with God. That's the third one. Listen to this verse. It's in Proverbs 21, verse 3. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Now, please understand this. God is more interested in your life, the way you live it, and the things that are in your heart, than he is the outward display of your religious beliefs. It has to begin here. It has to start here. And what comes out has to be real. To walk humbly with your God. That's the third one. What does that mean? Well, I don't know that he's talking about just being prideful. I think he's looking at something else here. Because it says to walk humbly with my God. Not just battling pride, but walking humbly with my God. Okay, what does that entail? What does that look like? Well, here's what I would say. I would tell somebody, here's what I think or believe that it means. That it means to submit. It's submit to his will. If I'm going to humble myself and walk with you, Lord, then that means that I've got to submit. I've got to stop saying, well, Lord, I want this, I want that, I'll feel this way, I want this. No, it doesn't matter, because I'm humbly submitting myself to his will. Now, see, here's the problem. So many of us as believers, we're off doing our own thing, living our own life the way we want to live it. We don't give... Two hoots and a holler for what God thinks we don't even care. But yet we'll come to church, we'll sing the songs, pray the prayers, take communion, and back out the door again just to live life our way. And that's not what God wants. Because God says, if you're going to bring a gift to me when I invite you into my presence, then these are the things that are are important to me. These are the things that I want. I want you to act justly in the way you live. I want you to love mercy to show it. And I want you to walk humbly with me. That means that you're going to trust me when it seems like it's impossible. 
that when something is bothering you and, and going wrong in your life, that you're going to put your faith in me, even when the situation seems so impossible. That's walking humbly with me. That you're going to believe me when no one else does. Every one of your friends, every one of the people, the people you go to school with, your family members, whomever that may be, they may not believe. God. They may not believe in what he says, but I want you to. That means you humble yourself before me and you walk with me. It means that you obey me and not the world. You obey me, not the world. There are too many of us, and I've got to tell you guys, in the times in which we live, I don't think you realize this. But if you know anything about prophecy and what's going to happen in the future, you see things beginning that head that way. And you've got to be you've got to be up on this. You've got to be up on this. That your obedience to him and not the world is so important. Your commitment to him and not the world is so important. You have to know who you love. You've got to know who you believe and know without a doubt that I'm going to walk humbly in obedience to him regardless. The things we do for God won't matter if we're not fair and honest, if we don't show mercy to those who need it, and if we don't trust the Lord no matter what. They won't matter. And this is what these Old Testament prophets are telling to Israel, and the same lesson applies to us. What you do for me won't matter if your heart isn't right, if you're not walking with me. And somehow we've got this all turned around. As long as I do the ritual, as long as I do the outward, I can get by with living my life my way. And he says, no, you can't. So now we come into God's presence. Now we're going to take communion. Now we've been invited by the Lord as often as we do this. You do this as a church. You do this in remembrance of me. And we come now to that time where we've done it hundreds of times before. Where I'm going to sit in the presence of God and I'm going to contemplate my life. The question then becomes the same as it was early on in this sermon. That is, what are you going to bring? What are you going to bring? We say, Pastor, I'm out of luck because as I look at my life, I'm not a very fair-minded person. I haven't been very kind. I haven't been merciful. And i got to tell you, Pastor, when it comes to humbling myself before the Lord, I struggle with that. So what am I going to do? What am I going to do as I sit here on on the cusp of entering into this presence of God through communion. Am I left out? No. And this is what I want you to see. Because when you partake of this, this is a a symbol, if you will, of what he's done for you. The idea, and here's why I believe that Jesus told us this, to do this as often as you will so that you will remember me. So that we get back to what it really means and why it's important. I don't believe that the Bible teaches that communion is only for certain qualified people. Communion is not for those that have arrived, because nobody ever does. In every place in the Bible where it talks about partaking of it, 
in an orderly fashion is talking about the manner in which it's done, not the worthiness of the recipient. Here's where repentance comes in, okay? Because as we sit here today as the church, and we have to look at ourselves and say, okay, Lord, I have nothing to bring. Because what you're talking about here, does, that's not reflective of who I am. And yeah, I'm convicted. Yeah, I'm ashamed. Yeah, Lord, I wish I had done things differently, but I didn't. But now's the time to repent. See, now's the time for you to get right with the Lord. And when you come before the Lord and you contemplate what He's done, you say, Lord, what I have to bring today is not what you mentioned here, but I'll bring you a broken heart. I'll bring you somebody that's ashamed of what they've done, ashamed of the way they've lived. And as I sit here before you, I give you my heart. And I want to be different. I want to live differently. Lord, as I come into your presence today, I bring you fresh commitment. I bring you repentance. I bring you my shame. And I partake together with the church in full knowledge of what you've done for me and how you have blessed me. And I have forgotten that. You see, that's what God wants. It would be ideal if all of God's people could come with, with perfectly clean hands in a life that reflects it. To say, here we are, Lord, we have obeyed, we've walked with you, we've shown mercy, and here we are now to, to commune with you. But in reality, is there any one person that says they have done all that? And I think that's the beauty of grace and the beauty of this right here. It's because it's not for those that are qualified. It's for those that are broken. For those that are willing to admit they failed. To remember what he's done. And so as we partake together, I want you, if your life is not as it should, then you need to deal with you, between you and the Lord, deal with that today. That's what this is all about. And you bring to God this gift of my commitment, my broken heart, my shame. And I lay it here at the altar and I partake in remembrance of you, your body that was broken and your blood that was shed. Let's take the bread, open up your cups. And as the church, God's bride, forgiven, cleansed, You are white as snow. White as snow. Your life may not reflect it. We just come through months of a series on grace. You stand before Him clean. And what we do today, we take to remember that and to thank Him for it. So let's do that today. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank You. Father, you have declared us righteous, and Lord, we are ashamed that our lives have not matched that declaration. But Father, as we come to you today, we bring a gift. We bring a broken heart. We bring our shame, our guilt. 
And we lay it here, Father, in complete confidence that you forgive and that you restore. And Father, we thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, Lord, we praise you and we love you. The Bible tells us that that night when he was with the apostles, or the disciples up in the upper room, they also took the cup and they passed it around. And he said, now this is my blood. Not literally, but this is my blood which is shed for you. He said, as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. We owe our debt of forgiveness to the blood of Christ. Let's take together in remembrance of that, okay? Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here in your presence, Father, we're overwhelmed that you are here. We're overwhelmed with the reality that you are here. Because you have said where two or more are gathered, you are there with us. And Father, as we come from all different walks of life, from all different perspectives, all different levels of spiritual maturity and so forth, Father, we're all different, but we are all yours. And we come into your presence with that complete confidence that you have claimed us, you have bought us, you have redeemed us. And now, Father, you have asked that when we come, we come with clean hands. Lord, we don't always do that. We fail. Now, Father, we're asking that, Father, you would forgive us, that you would cleanse our our feet, as you told the disciples. And that, Father, we can go out of here renewed, refreshed, and drawn closer to you. Father, the next time that we consider sinful actions, where the next time we harbor bitterness in our heart, that your spirit would prick our hearts. And that we would be convicted of what we're doing. And to realize that the next time we come into your presence, we need to come with clean hands. With a gift, a gift that you have prescribed. Father, help us to be those, that, that person with those qualities in our lives. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you, Father. Help us to become that. In Jesus' holy name we pray.